let's start by reading John chapter 21, verses 1 to 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped to work for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. But Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of his disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus said, uh, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, this is a passage of scripture that I have preached many times over the years. And to tell you the truth, there's so many ways you can go with this. There are experts who will focus on the number of fish they caught and the mission of the church. There's experts that will focus on on Jesus's use of the word love in various forms in the Greek lexicon. And and there are experts that will focus on on everything from what a strong fella Peter must have been if he could haul all those fish in by himself. And there's so many things you could talk about here, but 
Sometimes, in my opinion, the biggest game changers in scriptures are the ones that come right on the surface. Sometimes the most obvious thing is right there and you're looking for something really deep and meaningful and, and, and the most obvious thing is right there. And the best way to get to the obvious points of scripture is to remember that the whole Bible is a, is a story and, and that it's a, 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 it's a story that is a collection of shorter stories, but the overarching theme has a very distinct purpose and direction. And so many things that you read in the New Testament are bound in the Old Testament. And so they serve as completion or fulfillment of things that the Old Testament alludes to and Jesus fulfills. <coughs> Excuse me. And then there's within the stories themselves a beautiful craftsmanship that you can see. And there's a really simple overarching theme in this story that John is presenting as a sort of epilogue to his gospel. Jesus and his friends who were fishermen went out on the lake and went fishing. Did I say Jesus? I said Peter in my head. All the characters are there. Peter went with his friends to go fishing on the lake that they knew real well, and Jesus was there watching from the shore. Does this remind you of how the Gospels begin? Does this not sound like what happened in the beginning of the Gospels? They were fishing, and Jesus was on the shore. And he said something like, throw your net over there. And they caught a lot of fish and they were amazed. And Jesus said something like, now follow me so I can make you fishers of men. I mean, isn't it beautiful the way this is bookended now at the end of the gospel story? The resurrected Lord sees the same guys out there in their fishing boats. See, here's another direction I used to go with this years ago when I would preach this. It's like, yeah, they were losers. They thought of themselves as failures, so they gave up and went back to fishing. I don't even want to go there today. Just look at this beautiful thing that's happening. And Connie did such a wonderful job in your, your prayer and, and your introduction to the service by pointing out that sometimes we don't know what to do with the resurrected Lord. It, it's actually more difficult now because it's so open and free. See, Jane's going to grow up with a freedom in the Lord that she can take for granted, that we've all taken for granted. We really don't know what it was like to be an Old Testament servant of God, an Old Testament believer. You know, we really don't know what it was like for the apostles to transition from a faith that informed them that Jesus was the Messiah to a faith that informed them that he just finished everything and introduced a new covenant that gave them new life and a whole new spirit for living. I mean, we don't know what that's like for them. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about how when Jesus was separated from God, there was only one other person that might know what that's like, and it's Adam. Because, because Adam knew what it was like to walk with God in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden, and then when he was cast out, he also knew what it was like to never be able to do that again. 
And then we saw Jesus who was always with God in the same way, the one the apostle calls the second Adam. He, for our sake, is separated from God. And so there's only two people we can think of who would know what that was like, to have been able to experience the complete glory of God and then have it taken away from him. Well, in the same way, the apostles are pioneers and they're people who are trying to grasp what it means to have liberty in Christ that they've never been able to conceive of. All of a sudden, the whole life of a believer is shaped by the fact that you can't fail. <laughs> you know, that you've received a blessing you didn't deserve and the blessing doesn't go away because you didn't keep the law because he's canceled the power of sin and death and the law is no longer oppressing you. You're free. So the whole idea of baptism is to see that you've been washed clean, sort of made new, made over again, and now you're free. And so everything you do now in the freedom of Christ is, is an expression of that freedom. And this is why the apostle will tell us, you know, don't sin just to make glory more glorified. You know, don't, don't assume that because you can't fail that you should, you know, somehow keep failing in order to keep, you know, demonstrating the power of the gospel. I mean, it's just, it doesn't work that way. Each time you, you know, well, let's see, we were babysitting Jane and, and, and I watched her do something and then I watched the expression on her face and I thought, yep, first time you ever had that reaction. So another experience chalks up, right? You know, the, the beautiful thing about watching babies is, is that everything they do is usually for the first time, right? And if baby Christians are the same way, then it stands to reason that God's grace is sufficient to cover us while we figure this thing out. And we have a lifetime to figure it out because everyone who's born again in the spirit is a baby Christian. And the idea then is that you would grow up and not just stay a baby forever. One day Jane will come here somewhere and she will make her own profession of faith. And um, somebody like me might say, just remember you were baptized, but now you are choosing to follow Christ as your savior and your Lord. And, and that would be a sign that the spiritual maturity has continued. You're going to hear the word a lot in the next few months because it's so central to our core values as, as people of the Wesleyan tradition. And, and it's just sanctification, which is a, a, a large word that really isn't as bad as it sounds. It just means that you're going to grow up on purpose as a Christian. You're not, you're not going to just settle for being saved which is what the vast majority of us do by default. We just, well, got that covered, you know. John, Katie, I urge you to keep making Christian community a part of Jane's life. So many people come to church for the high stuff. We'll do Christmas, we'll do Easter, we'll get the kids baptized because it's proper to do that. We'll get them confirmed because it's proper to do that. We'll get them married in the church because it's proper to do that. But that's not really living in Christian community. That's not really living the faith. That's not really sanctified Christianity. That's, that's just practical Christianity. That, that's just religious Christianity. So let's all, let's all vow every day not to go there. 
But getting back to the story of, of the apostles and Peter, I, I want to I want to look at Peter's calling in, in the simplest terms. And the simple thing is, is Jesus came to them after the resurrection the same way he did before the resurrection. He met them where they were. He showed them signs that he was unique, even the son of God. And they may have had a lot of emotions as they were encountering him again, but but uh, I don't know. I think maybe just the fact that, that uh, they were fishing was just a sign that, that you know, it'd been a pretty stressful couple of weeks. And I find that when I'm doing things that I really love, whether it's a hobby in the basement or whether I'm, I'm uh, working in my yard, you know, that, that is a very therapeutic process of relieving stress. I know the farmers are getting into the fields right now. John and Christy are farm people. I have great friends here in the church family who are farm people and they're all anxious to get into the fields and get started. And there's stress associated with that, but there's also a certain comfort in doing something that you know how to do. You've done it well in the past. You're probably gonna do it well again and it just gives you peace. And I suspect that's really all that's going on here. The, the guys are, very aware that life has changed forever. The whole world has changed forever. What can you possibly relate to in your life that's like what these guys just went through? I mean, I can't think of anything. And so they're very aware that, that things are about to get real. You know, things are about to get real. And when Jesus asked Peter, I've thought about this a lot because I've preached all the variations on this, but here's today's spirit-led, I hope, interpretation of the conversation between Jesus and Peter. Peter, do you love me? Sure, Jesus, you know I love you. Okay, because I'm gonna need you to feed my sheep. And then Jesus is thinking, you know, like, like, only the son of God can. He's, he's kind of looking at the future. And, and look, I'm not talking about this as necessarily something spooky and mysterious and, and otherworldly because he's the son of God. I mean, let's just look at it this way. I can look at my granddaughter there and I know a lot about the life she's going to experience as she grows up. And I could say to her, sweetheart, you love your mommy and daddy, trust them. They're gonna take care of you, but you know, it's going to get real sometimes. <laughs> it's going to get real. So let's not give Jesus, I don't mean to, to belittle, belittle him in any way, but let's just look at him as a, as a guy who really loves Peter, who's someone who just really adores Peter. And, and he's saying to Peter, hey, Peter, it's getting real now. I mean, it's getting real. Do you love me? Well, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. I'm on board. Wherever you send me, I'll go. I, I'm in. And then Jesus says, okay, take care of my flock. And then the third time, you know, I hear, I hear Jesus saying, Peter, it's going to get real. I mean, even ugly sometimes. Because none of this is going to go the way any of you thought it would. 
I mean, what about this whole Messiah coming and deliverance and freedom from sin and death? What about any of my program did you guys see coming? Just, just wondering, you know? I mean, can you kind of read between the lines there? You know, Jesus is saying, you, you guys didn't see it before, and I'm not mad at you about that because who could? I mean, you could kind of suggest that even in the garden, Jesus was questioning whether he saw it all coming to the same extent because, because when he speaks of the Father, Jesus often says things like, only the Father knows that one, you know? And so Jesus says to him a third time, Peter, it's gonna get real. And I mean, it's not gonna always be fun. In fact, it might even get ugly. Like you might end up a prisoner and a slave. You might end up dying because you've devoted yourself to me in a way that you hadn't expected. You, you, you probably are gonna start to realize any day now that you're not gonna grow old and die in your bed like old people prefer to do, you, you probably aren't going to experience that. So I'm gonna ask you one last time, Peter, do you love me? When it gets real, when it isn't going the way you thought it would go? And Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know I'm in it for the long haul, deeply committed. Whatever it costs, Lord. And you know something? The rest of the scriptures after that validate Jesus choosing Peter to be the leader. And, and, and the scriptures that follow validate Peter's profession of faith that I will do this. I mean it. See, there's the thing that, that I've gotten wrong, I think, in the past. And I guess that's why you got to revisit these things on a regular basis. I've always taken the approach that many preachers and scholars and Bible readers do that, that somehow this is Peter being redeemed because he denied Jesus and all that. You know what? Just, I don't even care about that anymore. In this moment, what I see, and this is, this is another thing that's always bugged me. It always seems like John's a little uppity so-and-so because he's saying things about you know, how he's the one that Jesus loved, right? And, and so that really kind of bugged me because that doesn't seem like the way John would really be. If Jesus loved him, then it would stand to reason that it's because John was more like Jesus and, that, and he loved him for that, you know? So why would John say anything that would make Peter look bad? What I think is going on here that's been a real big insight for me today is that John is saying about Peter, he was in it, guys. He put the past behind him. He saw it the way it really was when Jesus asked him, do you love me? And he said even the third time, Jesus, I don't care how real it gets. I don't care what it costs. I don't care if it never goes the way that I think it should go. I'm with you all the way. Now that's John celebrating Peter. And there's a Peter that I can get behind. That's a guy that I want to follow and be like. I want to pray every day of my life. And I often do to the best of my ability. Lord, I don't care how real it gets. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care if it never goes the way I think it should go. I am with you all the way. Because that is apostleship, discipleship. That's what it means to be a born again believer. With you all the way. Peter even said later on that this would be in effect making you partakers in the divine nature. 
that you would become more and more like him every day so that the people who see you see him. That's my prayer for Jane, that this baptism is the beginning of a journey that leads to people seeing Christ in her. Someday when she brings her child or her grandchild to be baptized or whatever, let the Lord be seen in you. Let the people of God say so instead of just passively going through religious activities. And if anybody asks, you say, well, I go to church there. Let them see Christ in you. Because no matter how the plan plays out, like Peter, you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul, and therefore you love everyone he puts you with. Likewise, let us pray. Oh God, thank you for your word. Burn it on the hearts of your people and transform our nature, we ask for your glory. Amen. Thank you.